0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools podcast as we kick off the new school year with new weekly episodes, as we are now in year six of bringing you the conversations that matter the most as you think about leading change in your schools. In this first episode of the new school year, it's an honor and a privilege to bring in Dr. Jason Glass, an innovative school leader who serves as the commissioner of the Kentucky Department of Education. Dr. Glass has served as a school district superintendent uh, in two notable districts in the state of Colorado. And he also previously held the position of state school chief in Iowa between 2010 and 2013. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience as a change agent here in public education. Under the direction of Dr. Glass and the state board of education, Kentucky has launched the United We Learn initiative, a new vision for public education That builds around the three big ideas of creating more vibrant experiences for students, encouraging innovation in our schools, especially on the assessment side, and creating a bold new future through collaboration with communities. At the center of the United We Learn initiative is a statewide commitment to deeper learning. So be sure to follow Dr. Glass on Twitter at KYKamishGlass to follow all the great things happening here in our Commonwealth of Kentucky. Before we get to this first episode of the new year, I'm so excited to announce that we have a new partnership as Rocket PD is now the official sponsor of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Be sure to check out the Rocket PD website at rocketpd.com. So let's get to it, folks. My conversation with Dr. Jason Glass begins right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Very excited today to bring in my special guest, the commissioner for the Kentucky Department of Education, Dr. Jason Glass. How are you, sir? I'm well, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. I've been a big fan of your work since you arrived in Kentucky. You're a Kentucky native, and uh, you come from a family of educators, and I think we're really moving the right direction under your leadership. So I am a big fan, and I know you're a busy guy.
1: Well, I'm uh, delighted to be working in Kentucky. I did grow up in the state, and my mom and dad were both uh, career educators. Grew up in Meade County, and went to school at UK, started teaching in Hazard. So, uh, but I spent probably uh, 17 of the last 20 years or so living in Colorado with some stops in uh, Iowa and Ohio along the way. But I'm thrilled to come back to the Bluegrass State and get to serve in a place that gave so much to me.
0: Well, let's jump right into it. Uh, Kentucky has always been a a state that has been a leader in the education reform space. and uh, But it's also been a while. Things have kind of stalled out at times. And with your energy and your vision for the future, uh, about a year ago, uh, November of 2021, uh, KDE launched the new United We Learn initiative, and you brought in some great speakers virtually. You had Tony Wagner in um, and some other folks that are in that education reform space. Really great way to kind of kick off this new initiative. And the the three big pillars here were to create more vibrant learning spaces. So obviously, deeper learning is a part of that. Uh, to become more innovative, especially in terms of assessment and accountability, and to create more collaborative opportunities for stakeholders. Now we're almost a year into it. How do you see that momentum building as we start the new school year? I really like the point that you made
1: about Kentucky having been a leader really in education policy reform for a long time. That goes back to the CARA days, Uh, just in response to the Rose decision that Found uh, inequitable funding and inadequate funding in the state. The legislature responded to that really by changing not just the funding system, but changing a lot of the structure around how education was governed governed in the state and embedded in kara was a real focus on deeper learning at that point so a real experience based approach an effort at that time uh, this was in 1989 1990 an effort to bring about a, a more authentic and meaningful assessment system so those roots run deep here in kentucky these shifts toward uh, meaningful experiences uh, for students of course Between then and now, we had No Child Left Behind, which moved us into a much more standardized assessment uh, and accountability-focused era that we've all lived through for the past couple of decades. But I think we've really come to a point now where we realize that those systems of standardization and a content-focused education really hasn't served us well, especially given the changes that are accelerating in the world around um, instant access to information, the rise of um, uh, machine uh, artificial intelligence, uh, the global connections of the economy. we really need students that can demonstrate skills far beyond uh, just content memorization or content knowledge if they're going to be successful. So, When we took the time to ask Kentuckians what they wanted out of their schools, the wisdom shone through with United We Learn, the effort that we undertook uh, last year to listen to Kentuckians and then pull together a synthesis of what we heard. It was those three big ideas that you mentioned. Uh, It was that Kentuckians wanted us to deepen and enrich and make authentic the learning experiences for students because they recognize that the world is is fast moving and shifting and and the education that we had as adults or that a lot of kids are having now isn't going to be sufficient for preparing them for the world ahead. They also told us us that we needed to bring innovation uh, and bring that spirit of innovation, especially around assessment and accountability, which have been barriers to the kind of deeper learning that we wanna see come about. And then finally, that we needed to engage parents and students and people in our communities in more authentic ways than we had in the past. So those were the three big ideas that Kentuckians told us they wanted going forward and that's that's the agenda that we're working to execute
0: right now. And I've heard you say uh, on many different occasions that Kentucky's at a critical tipping point and I certainly agree with that. And you know, we're dealing with all kinds of things, teacher shortage. I saw just the other day that one out of 5 positions that have been posted have not been filled. So, you know, we're dealing with that. We have a lot of new principles that are coming into school systems uh, that we need to think about better training for those folks. We're coming out of COVID. So you were a superintendent, highly successful in Colorado at a couple di- different districts. I'm a former superintendent myself in Illinois. I know how difficult it is just to lead change at the district level. But when I think about leading change at the state level, one of my best friends is Randy Dunn who's former president at Murray State University, and also was the, we don't call him commissioners in Illinois, he was the state superintendent. Some of the stories he would tell me about trying to get anything done are exhausting just listening to them. Give people a sense of how difficult it is to kind of lift the heavy rock, lift the boulder when you're thinking about statewide change.
1: Well, I've certainly had the experience of trying to lead statewide change in Iowa, uh, as well as here, and then in the districts where I was a superintendent, one sort of medium sized district, Eagle County had about 7,000 kids, and then Jeffco, when I was there, had about 85,000 kids. So uh, they were various sizes, Um, but I think in several of those experiences, I really saw change as being successful if we got a law passed or we got a board action or we got a regulation done, something that would change the governance structure or change the legal configuration. But I think I've learned along the way that while those things can help or hinder um, real change, what we need is a, a revolution or a change in the experiences that our students are having. And so I'm not approaching this as we declare victory if some law passes or regulation shifts. Uh, This is going to be an ongoing effort to try and change the experiences of students. And that happens by um, practitioners that are across the state shifting uh, and the learning experiences that they create for students, empowering them with different tools and approaches to how to make learning better connected to uh, the outside world and the kinds of skills kids need. Uh, so I think it's a real um, sort of grassroots approach to change. Uh, that maybe maybe um, we can't mark some point in the future and say, "Well, we declare victory because this passed or this regulation was enacted or something." I think this is going to be a much more long-term effort, but ultimately one that will uh, will really see the change happen if if. What the students are experiencing is different. If we don't change the experiences our students are having, nothing has really changed. So we can have all sorts of arguments and policies passed around governance and funding and uh, school choice and standards and measurements. Ultimately, if what the student is experiencing isn't changing and in a way that prepares them for the world ahead, it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, and I think that's well said I mean on this podcast, obviously the titles reimagine schools, and I think for a lot of people that concept is, how do we find ways to improve. The old things that we've always done, how can we make the old model better, my argument is the old model no longer works, we need to completely reinvent what the model looks like, so I mean for me kind of my aha moment when it comes to the education reform movement was my first conversation with Ted Dinnersmith and I watched the documentary Most Likely to Succeed. That was my big aha moment. Did you have your own aha moment at some point in your career, even as a teacher or school administrator, and you thought, you know what, this is not working, and we have to really have some hard conversations about change? I did.
1: I think it was an evolution over time. I would have considered myself firmly in the "Quote unquote Ed reform camp" and uh, around 2009 to 2011. Uh, so that was the movement around uh, merit-based compensation, uh, ranking teachers based on uh, test scores, uh, uh, tests, or, or changing evaluation systems uh, to be uh, more actionable in terms of human resource decisions. So I was right in the center of all of that. Uh, And I think what changed for me is when I became the state chief in Iowa and was really charged with trying to bring about Uh, some systemic changes that would affect the whole state, I started looking at systems around the world uh, that had been successful. And McKinsey and Company had published some reports about that time looking at global high-performing systems. Patel for Kids had done uh, some of that as well. And the uh, National Center on Education and the Economy, Mark Tucker's work uh, around that was coming out around the same time. And what struck me was the things that we were pursuing and chasing in the United States were not the same things that we had seen high performing global systems uh, pursue or or implement to be successful. Um, So that that to me was the beginnings of seeing the cracks in the logic of what we were trying to do in the United States around standardization, uh, accountability, and evaluation as sort of levers for improvement. Uh, what, What I learned from those international systems is that uh, and uh, successful systems within the United States is first, there's a deep focus on the student and what the student is experiencing and making instruction and learning meaningful. So put that at the center uh, instead, of, instead of governance or measurement based approaches. There's a strong emphasis on supporting and lifting up the teaching profession and make, creating an environment where some of the brightest and uh, most talented people in society become teachers and stay teachers uh, and supports uh, around them. Uh, and efforts to um, create governance structures that are supportive of education um, and create a virtuous cycle where education is delivering quality workers and quality um, uh, people for our our democratic republic uh, who then go out and get jobs and our business and industry is supporting education uh, and the country supports education. So that's the virtuous cycle we often see. So for me, that that was the beginning of that shift. I also was, uh, have been really impressed with the work of people like um, Tony Wagner and uh, Sir Ken Robinson and Ted Dentersmith, you mentioned, all of them had an impact on me, Michael Fullan uh, from changing my thinking as well and coming to where I am today. Um, most likely to succeed was a watershed movie uh, and for me and, and I think all educators who have seen it. Uh, I would critique it to say that a lot of people come away from most likely to succeed thinking, well, if we just have charter schools, then we can bring this about. But that hasn't been my experience. High Tech High that's featured in that movie is a is a shining success story of what we need more of. That is for sure. Uh, so no no disrespect to them. I'm a huge fan of, of that model in any charter school or uh, private school or public school that follows a model similar to that. But what I've seen with the school choice movement is actually you end up with a lot of variability. You'll end up with some charter schools or private schools that follow that deeper learning model. And you'll find also an equal or greater number that are following a really very traditional um, uh, direct instruction memorization focused approach. So school choice in itself is no guarantee of deeper learning. It can bring about some innovation, but I, I think when people Watch if you watch that movie and think about it to not leap to the conclusion that all we need are charter schools if this is going to come about.
0: Yeah, and I think that's another great point. And I can remember back, you know, having a conversation on this podcast with uh, Posse Salberg from Finland. And, you know, he, he said, it's the goal should not be to replicate everything we're doing in this country it's to create your own finland so i'm sure tony wagner and ted dinnersmith would have the same advice you know don't try to replicate what's going on at high tech high take those principles that you find most appealing that you think will help kids prepare for an ever-changing world and future and then try to adapt those things and apply those things in in your own space which I, i think is is a wonderful way of thinking about it but you know now the big buzz in kentucky is around deeper learning and uh, there's been a a huge push there and uh, you know to your credit uh, a lot of money is being uh, pushed into what we're calling deeper learning grants and uh, it's a three-year cycle i think in the first year we're going to do a lot of learning about what deeper learning is i think a new definition was even released recently from from your office or from you know the state stakeholders Uh, And then in year two, you're going to kind of pilot something. And then year three, you're going to scale that up uh, and try to, you know, bring that across to the school level or district level. At the end of the three years, what do you think we're going to see? Or what is your vision for the end of deeper learning here in Kentucky? Well, actually, it's the beginning, not the end. Yeah. Well,
1: I wanted to touch back on um, just for a second on the evolution that you heard or the advocacy that you heard from Posse Saulberg that I think Ted Dentersmith, you know, went through that realization also with with his book, What School Could Be, I could see an evolution in his thinking where he visited all kinds of schools uh, and saw a lot of really traditional practices, but also saw uh, some beginnings of, of the shifts in, in learning that I think we're talking about when we, we say deeper learning, what we mean. And he saw that across a variety of different uh, perspectives. So when you change from a school choice perspective, uh, we can bring about some innovation by creating some competition among schools. So I've, seen, I've seen that happen. But just shifting the governance or who gets to make the decisions around schools and proliferating different types of schools doesn't necessarily mean that that's where you end up. It just means that you have more variety uh, and more variability, honestly. Uh, so I think I think Smith's shift around what I read and what school could be uh, also had a big impact on me. Directly to the question that you just asked, uh, at the state level, we really saw the infusion of Federal COVID dollars as an opportunity to shift learning across the state or to amplify the direction that Kentucky had been taking for several years around deeper learning. I mean, there's just years of efforts like this in place with. Um, co-ops that have been leading deeper learning work, uh, the state leading deeper learning work with its um, innovation lab network, um, groups like uh, the Holler and uh, K, uh, Kentucky Valley Educational Cooperative uh, leading this UK's Next Gen Leadership Program, your own work in the state. Uh, so all of these things are capacity that were that was in place before I got to Kentucky, and we had these conversations with Kentuckians around what they wanted. Uh, for the future. So into that environment, we now have this incredible opportunity with uh, federal COVID dollars. Part of those, of course, were used to mitigate COVID, try and um, restore some of the experiences kids missed out on uh, during the, the pandemic. But a big part of that here in Kentucky is also to try and change the learning system going forward, to reimagine schools, to uh, use the term of, or the, the title of your podcast, to think about how our experiences uh, for students in schools could be better and profoundly different than they are today. And to use some of our federal resources through our co-ops, through uh, contracts with Uh, entities like pbl works uh, to come in and deliver trainings in the state to create an infrastructure around this to see how far we can move this in the three years that we have these funds
0: hey guys dr greg goins here and i hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the reimagined schools podcast we'll get right back to the conversation after this quick shout out from our sponsor rocket pd There's one thing we can all agree on. The days of sit and get PD are over. That's why my friends at Rocket PD have assembled the best experts on the planet on the hottest topics on education with a mission to create the world's largest community of educators committed to helping teachers and staff succeed. So prepare for launch by going to rocketpd.com where you can connect your team with the most inspiring educators on the topics that matter. It's professional learning fueled by passion. Visit rocketpd.com to join the Rocket PD community and download your free ultimate guide to K-12 PD. So join Rocket PD today and get the help and support that you've been searching for. You know, I think one of the things that I've been trying to tee up and talk about of late is I think we need to have a little deeper conversation about the role of the teacher and how that has evolved over the years as we make this push toward deeper learning. And you mentioned the PBO works. And I think project-based learning is a is certainly an important component of deeper learning. But you know, back when I was a teacher, back before the internet, that's how old I am, back in the mid-90s, you know, I was the only one in the room with the information. And so it was just a transfer from my brain to them, and whatever notes they could take, that was the teaching process. But as we all know, technology has changed the game and information simply a commodity. So if you have 25 kids with a Chromebook, they're gonna be able to Google the answer quicker than you can probably spit it out. So as you think about the role of the teacher, what are some of the things that have changed in your mind and how can we change just what the classroom looks like in terms of you know, kids working together as teams? I, I believe learning is a team sport. I don't think you learn a lot in isolation. So, you know, if, if the teacher's doing all the work and they're doing the most talking, then uh, I, I think that's probably not the right model we want for a student-centered classroom. What are, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, when we talk about these shifts in learning uh, with educators or students, uh, students are crying out for it. They say well, they want this right now. Um, when we talk about it with people in communities, they're usually very supportive. People in business have been asking this, for this, these kinds of shifts for many years. When it comes to talking with teachers specifically, um, and, and sometimes people in communities, we do get some pushback that I think is um, that we, we need to make sure we, we talk it through. What are their objections? So the pushback is really around people who say that content knowledge is really important and direct instruction is effective. Uh, And I would say you're right, Uh, content knowledge is really important, direct instruction can be effective, but it's not enough content knowledge isn't enough, especially in an era when content's really easy to acquire. And what becomes much more important is what can you do with content? Can you trust the source of the content? Can you solve a meaningful problem with the content? Can you create something uh, new? Uh, Can you create an innovation? Can you bring change? I mean, all these are skills and concepts that just focusing on content doesn't get you to. And again, with the rise of artificial intelligence and the e- instant access to information that you talked about, Con- the currency of content becomes less and less. It's still important. And I will um, uh, concede that point with anybody who wants to argue about content. I would say it's still really important. Kids have a base of stuff that they need to know. Uh, and they need, there are some concepts they, they need to know and have access to um, uh, in, in their own uh, minds. Uh, but it's not, no longer enough and it really hasn't been for some time. When it comes to something like direct instruction, that can be effective. Um, we, we know that there are some things that kids need to know, and they need to acquire that as quickly and efficiently as they can. So sometimes direct instruction is a good mechanism to do that, to have the teacher stand up and deliver some information. Uh, but direct instruction becomes a problem when not when it's a thing, but when it's the only thing. When it's the only thing, the experience that students have, you're really robbing the student in the time that you have with them to demonstrate all of these other skills. So I don't argue with people that say content is important or direct instruction isn't effective or important. I say they are not enough anymore, which leads us to why problem and project based learning is, is important in this context. I often hear from teachers, I buy into the education needs to change, the experiences of our students need to change, that learning needs to be deeper, more authentic, and then they'll say, I don't know what that looks like, or I don't know how to do that, or I don't have a guide around that. And so that's where we think about um, problem and project-based learning, which fundamentally changes the tasks that you give to students, the work that you give to students to do. Um, That's, I think, where the magic happens. At some point, regardless of what you're teaching, what kind of school it is, what the content is, at some point you hand things over to the student and ask them to do some work. And that moment can be repetitive, routine, purely content focused, or it can be deep, meaningful, and connected to a whole host of skills and the content that kids are gonna need going forward. Problem and project-based learning helps us get to that deeper set of experiences for students.
0: And, you know, I think another layer to this, as we peel the onion back, is uh, the role of the principal. We talk about the role of the teacher, but, uh, you know, I've, I've really been um, spending a lot of time looking at this concept of leader shift, and you go back to John Maxwell's great book on leadership shift, and at leadership, as we know, is just the ability to adapt to change, and I was talking to a superintendent in a large district here in Kentucky yesterday, actually, on a Zoom call. And he told me that nine of his 23 schools have a new principal to start the year. So not only do teachers need to have this uh, ability to understand what deeper learning looks like, but we have to do a better job of preparing administrators, principals. I'm sure you are having discussions about what that looks like as well.
1: Well, the principal shortages that we're having are a larger uh, part of a larger problem that we have around uh, an education workforce crisis that, and there are complex reasons for that that go back many years. Uh, they include, um, you know, when the economy's really hot, um, uh, public sector jobs tend to suffer, and that's part of what we've been experiencing the past few years. So some of it's sort of macroeconomics. There's also been, uh, I think, A devaluing or undervaluing of the total compensation package for educators, including their pensions, but also the beginning salary and and ongoing pay levels that they get. That's a factor. Uh, We've seen a decline in the number of people entering the teaching profession, really, I think, as as women have started to more deeply explore other options. We used to have uh, this uh, sort of captive workforce that education and and nursing benefited from tremendously for having all these talented women really think of that as as, uh, one of the main options that they have. But now we have an abundance of options. Uh, for women. So, so we, have to, we have to think about how we can recruit other people into the teaching profession as well. We've seen a decline in the number of people choosing teaching uh, as a career and we have to talk about this sort of ongoing culture war and bring partisan politics into education and uh, uh, laying blame at the, fate, at the feet of educators and attacking our institutions of education. All these things have corrosive effects on the teaching profession. Uh, that we've got to reverse. So I think it's a complex set of circumstances that have led us to this moment. But um, we have to work on all of them simultaneously. We have to recognize that this is not going to correct itself instantly. We're probably looking at several years of working our way out of the problem that it took us several years to work our way into. But when it comes to the deeper learning experience, I really think that this is an opportunity to re-engage and reignite passion for teaching and for learning. Uh, When most people get into teaching, uh, they do it because they envision themselves having meaningful and impactful uh, contributions uh, to students in the future uh, and being part of something bigger than themselves. So these shifts around deeper learning are part of that. Uh, Nobody gets into teaching thinking that they're going to drone on in front of students and hand out worksheets. Um, that that's not what motivates teachers to get into this job so I hope that part of what we are doing with this effort around deeper learning is to rekindle the passion for education from our teachers to our administrators to senior uh, level district folks as well
0: and you know one of the things I'm really excited about that's coming out of KDE and and yourself and your leadership team and the board is we're doing a statewide portrait of a graduate and not many states are are taking that on but I think that's great you know so you're seeing a lot of school districts talk about portrait of a learner Uh, some of them now are talking about creating a portrait of an educator and I've even talked to some people about creating a portrait of a principal so we can go a lot of different directions as to what we're looking for or what those competencies are that that we should be looking out out for but I guess the big question is at the end of the day after we create these things how can we assure that they're just not going to be a pretty poster on the wall
1: Well, that's going to really be the big question. Um, and I can't assure that that, that it won't. Um, I can tell you that uh, I, I have participated in any number of multi year strategic planning efforts. And at the end of, you know, the five year process, never did I get to the end and said, well, that worked out exactly how I thought it would never has that ever happened. probably never happened to anybody. Um, there are twists and winds along the way, there are things that bring wind to your back and obstacles that pop up along the way. And sometimes you end up in different places than, than where you started. Um, but so, so I think I don't know exactly what the outcome of this is going to be. I hope that it's in a better place than we are now. We're working toward that end. Uh, and I think we've got Kentuckians on board with making these kinds of shifts. I do know where we will end up if we don't try anything. And that's exactly where we are. And so, uh, while while I think we can't um, predict or exactly and precisely say here's where this is going to go, um, I, I think that there's energy and there's benefit and there's worth worthwhile. Uh, wor- there's worth in engaging in this journey, and I think we're on it. And I'm excited about that.
0: Well, I want to thank you for your time. I I know we're running short here, but I have one final question for you. And and again, I've been having a lot of conversations with school leaders across the state about rethinking what success looks like and rethinking different accountability models. And and I think, um, you know, if you think about some of the barriers to innovation and some of the barriers to doing some of the things we'd like to do in terms of change is we have an accountability system, a compliance-based system in place. And I think a lot of the pushback that I get when I talk with people about changing the way we think about that is they don't want to run two accountability systems parallel side by side. And so we don't we want to find a way to incentivize people to think differently about what accountability and assessment looks like. but I, I think the struggle is how do we do that within the confines of the current system in which we're all going to be judged? Is there any discussion or how can we get policymakers to understand that there needs to be some reprieve or some kind of, grace period to let schools experiment and do some research and development and try to redefine what success looks like in schools.
1: One of the things that emerged from United We Learn was really a call from Kentuckians for us to do some work in this very area uh, to make sure that we were bringing innovation when it came to assessment and accountability systems because the, the recognition that they were barriers to the kinds of shifts in learning that we wanted to see happen. Uh, We have districts across the state and our what we call our local laboratories of learning that are piloting different assessment and accountability systems right now with involving people in their communities, their teachers, their parents, their students in that effort. Um, And we hope that we can scale from that some different structures for the state. We'll need some help from our state legislature and we'll need some help from the U.S. Department of Education to have any of that eventually replace the standardized system of Machine-scored tests that we have right now, and and the points-based system of accountability that we have now. But uh, and I I can't say today how that's going to end up. But again, I know where we will end up if we don't try anything.
0: Well, great great conversation. Thanks so much for your time, Commissioner, and I hope you have a wonderful school year. Thanks,
1: Greg. It was a delight to be on with you.
0: So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to give us a five star rating and leave a comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As friends of the podcast, I hope you can give me a follow on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins, where you can learn more about my work as a partnership ambassador with the Modern Classrooms Project. And also about my work with Brave Ed, where innovative school districts across the country are leading change through a benefits-based accountability system that allows school communities to redefine student success. So until next time, folks, thanks for listening and keep fighting for change in your school.